Welcome to Distant Voices, a podcast presented by Willamette Week. Join us every Wednesday to hear members of the Willamette Week newsroom talk to Oregonians about how they are overcoming the pandemic. Come back on Saturdays to listen to Dive, a podcast hosted by me, Hank Sanders, that takes a look at the Willamette Week cover story and includes interviews with the biggest names in the state. You can enjoy more episodes of these podcasts on this channel and learn more about our work at wweek.com. Enjoy this episode of Distant Voices. Hello, this is Matt Singer. I am the arts and culture editor at Willamette Week. And uh, today I am speaking with uh, Amy Shapiro. Uh, she is a singer songwriter and a retired music teacher uh, from Beaverton who um, over the last couple of years has led a, uh, very, a recently successful campaign um, to change uh, the Oregon State song. Um, and Amy, maybe we could start by saying, by you kind of uh, talking about this you know, this is really kind of a crusade for you. So w where did this start? Well, it started 30 years ago at the Portland Jewish Academy when I was asked to teach the children in my choir who were third through fifth graders, the Oregon State song, and I had never heard it before. So when I saw the words, I wasn't really happy about them. And so I taught the kids the song. We sang it at a Children's Day in Salem that year in 1990. And then we never sang it again. But then about five years ago, I was asked to sing the song with the Hillsborough Symphony Orchestra. It's a community orchestra. My husband plays, my husband, Jeff Olnick plays clarinet. And I said I would sing it, but only if I could change some of the words. And they were very receptive. So I changed a few of the words and then I started talking to the legislators. And over the years, I was convinced by Sherry Scout and my representative and some others to change more of the words. So I did, and I've been uh, keeping in touch with them. And I finally got to sing it a year ago at the legislature in the House of Representatives. And I think that piqued a lot of interest among the representatives and then they wrote a bill about it and passed it and then the Senate passed it. So after 30 years and five years of lobbying, we got it done. Wow. Um, obviously, you know, this is kind of a part of, you know, it's representative of the sort of reckoning that we've had over the last year about, um, you know, sort of uh, how the country and the state are represented in these sort of symbolic ways and um, about you know some of the you know the, the history of the United States and of Oregon, um, but I would imagine that attitudes were not uh, quite amenable to changing these things. Uh, you know when you first started this, I mean when when you when you brought up first kind of started bringing up the idea of officially changing mm -hmm. the state song. What was the reaction from from lawmakers and just from the the general public uh, kind of when you first started doing this? Well, some people were very excited about it. I'm not the first person who realized that there were problems with the words. And other people have tried to reach out and do things in the past, but nobody was very receptive. And when I first started, there were some people who were just totally against it. You know, can't change the song, can't change history. It's our historic song, et cetera. But as the years went by, these past five years, it became clear that words really are important and how we represent our state is important. And I was confused as to why the Oregon State song didn't mention mountains, forests, or rivers. And I, <laughs> I while it did mention the empire builders who conquered the people and 
took the land and talked about the blood of martyrs, I thought I would rather talk about trees and rivers and mountains and freedom than all of those things. So I changed it and I think it's a much better song now. So it's gotta be, uh, you know, to, to actually have like your lyrics enshrined in state history, that's, that's gotta be kind of a, uh, a big deal and also I would imagine kind of stressful. So, I mean, what, what was the process like for you? You know, you said you had rewritten the words, you know, kind of over the course of a couple of decades really. Um, but when you started to think like, okay, these might actually be the official words of the state mm -hmm. song, that, did you start to think about them differently? A little bit, but the thing is, I only really changed eight words in the song. And so it's really the same song. It's the song by Buchanan and Murtaugh that was written over a hundred years ago. And there are still people who apparently really like the words blood of martyrs and they're mad at me for changing them. But, you know, I think it was really a good thing because this is a song that now people will sing again and people will teach it to children, which I didn't want to do with the original words. And so I see it as saving the song as opposed to just changing the song. And I think it's a really good thing for Oregon and we're getting a lot of attention around the world for doing this. And I think it's a really positive thing. So I hope people will forgive me for changing eight of the words to the song they sang as a kid and appreciate that I did my best to just leave it the way it was and just make a few changes so that we could all sing it with pride. You mentioned that uh, it was upsetting people. Um, and obviously, you know, we've seen over the the last year that like, you know, the tearing down of monuments and the like renaming of schools, these kind of things um, are a big flashpoint for division um, and, and arguments. Uh, so have you, have you had, you've experienced the backlash like sort of directly from people? Like what, what, what have the, what have been the negative reaction? Not really. Well, there, are, we have a page on Facebook called change the song. So a couple of people have commented that they just don't get it and they don't see where it's racist and they don't understand. And then, um, there were also a few people who voted against it in the Senate and the House, just a few. But then there's um, like, there are videos of the song and there are about half the people give it a thumbs up and half the people give it a thumbs down. So, you know, it's nothing very vicious or anything, but I just, I can't understand why they wouldn't like the new words, so. Right. Well, you know, if somebody was to ask why, why is it important to do to change the lyrics, you know, I think most people don't really would have no idea, you know, in, in any in most of their states what their state song is or what the lyrics right. are. So why why is this an important thing? If somebody were to ask you that question, like, what does it even matter what the state what the lyrics of the state song are? What what would be your your response? Well, it represents our state, and people can go to a thing called Google and find the words really easily. All the words are right there, and they might read those words and think that the main most important things about Oregon are the empire builders and the conquering he conquering heroes as opposed to the heroes who stood up to the conquerors and it's just not a good representation of our state and also it's just so insulting to the native people who were here before the empire builders came and it, it's just in this day and age, we just can't have a song like that. It doesn't represent us. And the new lyrics are 
are okay for everybody to sing. I think anybody of any ethnic background could sing them pr with pride and feel that it refers to them as well as everyone else in the state. I think it's, I think it was really necessary to do that. This is Aaron Mesh with Willamette Week. Uh, today I'm speaking with Sharon Shai, who teaches Hebrew at Portland State University. Uh, Sharon, thank you so much for finding time with me. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. You moved to Portland from Israel, right? I did. I moved out here five years ago. I love Portland. Actually, it reminds me a lot of Tel Aviv. It's got that youth vibe, lots of fun energy. Um, Lots of liberals. So, <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah, are, there, are, there are a couple liberals in town. Yeah, I think that's fair. Oh, so we have a lot of that in Tel Aviv. The biggest city for pride parades this, this year, really. It's like they're, they're out there. No COVID anymore. <laughs> so they're partying at that point. Now when, when things are settled a little bit. So um, I love Portland and um, I started teaching at Portland. I, I started teaching four years ago, uh, modern, uh, modern Hebrew. I enjoy it very much. The communication with the, uh, with the community, with the students. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great experience. Do you have family who's still in Israel? I assume you do. I do. Yeah. I have most of my families in Israel and um, my Son is currently in Israel. My parents are there. We are, most of us are there. It's, it's pretty much me. What's their experience been like of the conflict in the last few months? Oh, that was, that was very rough. Um, that was a very rough experience. Um, I was talking to my son. He was just uh, um, rock climbing in Tel Aviv, uh, sports. And then there were sirens going on and they just had missiles on their, on their heads out of nowhere. And I think that people don't quite understand when they're when they're thinking. I mean, what would you do if you had, uh, you know, someone aim at you from from your borders, like from your backyard, just shoot missiles in the like center of the city, aiming at citizens? We were lucky to have the um, the Iron Dome, which is totally a defensive uh, system that was really. Um, that was really protecting us because if we wouldn't have had that, since they really aimed everywhere, we'd have a lot of casualties. The estimation of about 30, 40,000 casualties and the numbers would look different if we wouldn't have had that, which is kind of what they're saying they're targeting for in the next round, which they're already working on. Um, yeah, so it was, it, was a hard, it was a hard experience. It was hard to be away actually. It was hard to be here when things are so rough over there. How often do you communicate with, with your son? Oh, we're so happy to have WhatsApp these days. <laughs> it's our favorite app. It's like I get to see on video and I uh, got to see got to see the missiles on their, you know, on top of their heads, the lights and here you hear the you hear the um, engines and you see the like all those flashes. It's like a 
it's like having um, Independence Day, just not on very happy grounds. <laughs> He had to find a way to get back home and they're like, everybody was kind of fleeing and there was no uh, public transportation at this point. He just found a scooter <laughs> and managed to ride home with that. It was scary. Like, a, like an electric scooter? Like a, like yeah. A- yeah, like those we have here. I said it was pretty much like Portland. Um, so no, no batteries were in most of them at that point, but he managed to get home safely and also, I want to refer to the state of saying that Israel is like um, apartheid. Now, Israel these days um, is going to get a new government. Part of the government is going to be Arabs, Arab um, uh, parties. An Arab party is going to be part of the government with a minister. From the 120 parliament members in Israel, you have... Um, you have a quite a large group of Arab representatives. Some of them do not think that the existence of Israel is rightful. I don't think there are many um, other democratic states, including in the US, that have members of the parliament, of their own parliament, that are actually voting against, against that party. So no, we have, they have, I mean, the Arab population in Israel has the entire, they're entitled to, they're like every other civilian in Israel. They get voted, they can vote. They can be critical. They can call that there's discrimination. Like here in America, and I'm sure they're right, but it's not apartheid. They are, that is a democracy. Um, and I truly, truly believe that People should um, distinguish the Black Lives Matter movement should not be affiliated with Hamas because they are not. I mean, I know that these days people are are crossing the lines and trying to saying that it's like the same. It's the same um, argument. It is not. So whoever well, I'm, is. I'm not sure. I would. I would agree with you that 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 every Palestinian pro-Palestinian march in the city of Portland is Hamas affiliated. I am not saying that, but when you're saying free Gaza, no, no, I'm, I'm sure, first of all, I want to say Palestinians, I feel like Gaza Strip, the, the civilians there are suffering and need a solution. I'm just saying that if you have to free Gaza from something, it's not from Israel because we are not in Gaza Strip. It has to be freed from Hamas. And when they have uh, a Palestinian authority that would probably take care and if they would be able to invest the money in building instead of just fighting, if they will not say that it's a zero sum game and it's either them or us, I think that we'd be able to get somewhere because I think that most Israelis are, are calling for a solution. And we do have... Can you tell me a little bit about the, the letter you recently received and yeah. exact you're getting at Portland State? Yes, there's the BDS movement that was actually founded by Berguti, who is um, also a Palestinian leader and calling, you can see some of his quotes. He's he's saying that he does not agree to a binational um, country because uh, because there's no binational, he does not recognize in our nationality. Um, He does not recognize in the solution that would be both countries. It's just, as I mentioned, a zero-sum game. And he is actually um, 
they're calling for a discrimination, like to to um, boycott everything that has to do with Israel, including academic speech. And I work at PSU. I uh, I was very um, I was very sad to see a letter in my mailbox um, inbox. Um, a circling for uh, to sign a petition that calls for a BDS for for actually boycotting um, Israel and Israelis. So what this really means, as I said, go back to the darkest part of the history, not enabling people to to express what they have to say to argue. We can argue. We cannot agree. We can. I mean, we should argue if you don't if we don't agree. But the fact that they're saying don't enable uh, an Israeli speak just because they're Israelis, I think is horrible. We had, um, we had a, um, last year at Portland State, there was a tech fest. There was a representative came from Tel Aviv, um, from the city of Tel Aviv, about a, an app that is for the community and wanted to bring it to Portland. And he wanted to get on stage and we had all the effort to bring him in. He couldn't express himself because they didn't enable him to talk. And freedom of speech is like the basis of this community and, and of America and every democracy. And by um, agreeing to boycott that, I think this is like the, low, the, the lowest that we can get. So BDS stands for, as I understand it, boycott divestment sanctions, right? Demonization and sanctions, yeah. Um. Sorry, it's demonization, not not divestment. Um, divestment. Oh, it could be either yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> you saw that email. How did you respond? Um, so I emailed um, a response. I did not get into the into the um, political part. I really just I focused on that. Just the fact that you know my my um, the the people that are basically standing behind the BDS movement and what they are thinking. And um, uh, I, I explained how I saw things and I'm actually calling for, for a freedom of speech and for actually uh, not letting the extreme groups take over because this is what happens. Both sides, by the way, I am very critical towards the regime in Israel right now. I mean, the one that is hopefully ending its career and also, as you know, towards the regime in Gaza right now. And I wouldn't want to have them take over, which is really what's happening here. Um, I emailed my, my response. Um, I received a lot of letters. Um, most of them were just um, to me, but a lot of letters. Uh, people thanking me and saying that they felt unsafe recently with the environment going on in um, Portland and at PSU. Um, just by the fact that their colleagues were, were kind of re responding the way they did. Um, there weren't very many, but a few uh, students, a few teachers, professors also responded like uh, uh, by emailing everybody uh, on that matter. Um, I think that when people are calling to discriminate a community, they do not understand entirely what they're doing here. But the fact is that, yes, in this case, um, a whole bunch of, of teachers, I'm talking about professors, felt discriminated at PSU because of um, those circling letters. And um, most of them did not feel comfortable enough to go out and um, email back publicly and express their feelings. 
but I have them all here. Have you felt an atmosphere of hostility at PSU around this issue? I'm sorry? Have you felt an atmosphere of hostility at PSU around this issue and your, and your background? So not in, the, not in the past, not at all. I have to say that President Percy is, um, I think he's really um, great and amazing by his tolerance and his attitude. And I really, really appreciate what he's doing. I heard that back before I um, moved to Portland, there were some issues at PSU, um, but not, not since I moved here. This is actually the first time that I, I feel this way. Um, and I, I know that Middle Eastern studies brought in, um, a, they, had a, they hosted a Zoom meeting with um, Palestinians leading it and they didn't invite us to do it. I wish they did. I wish it would, they would make it like a two-sided thing. I think it's very popular these days to take a stand with the uh, ones that are not as strong. In this case, it's not Israel. But, um, and I, I do know that um, Oregon State also had a letter from the governor, uh, from their student government that called for, uh, for BDS and Free Palestine. And as I said, there should be a Palestine, but it's not supposed to be freed from Israelis. Um, we we um, deserve to stay in our homes. We don't have to move away into America, into Europe, the way they kind of send us. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Distant Voices. Thank you to everyone who was a part of this episode, including the guests and Willamette Week Newsroom. Also, special thank you to ampmusic.co and Heather Witte for the music that you heard on this podcast. For more great content, be sure to follow Dive by Willamette Week on all podcast platforms. Join us Saturdays for our Dive podcast show and follow along with Willamette Week's content at wweek.com and on all social platforms. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.